for joining us today for the pitfalls of failing to disclose. I'm Laura Prouse with Crest Insurance Services. Today, we welcome attorney Mark Carlson from the Carlson Law Group. Mark has been defending real estate professionals since 1993 and has worked with Crest for over 20 years as a founding member of our legal panel. Along with Mark, we have Dave Miller, Regional Vice President with Fidelity National Home Warranty. Dave manages the Crest Advantage Home Warranty Plan, which ties in with Crest's E&O insurance. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. And Dave, I'll hand it over to you. Thanks, Laura. I just want to first off say thank you to everybody for watching. This is the third uh, webinar that we've done, the first one on COVID forms and how to use those in a transaction uh, in a COVID world. And then also we did a, a second webinar on the, uh, the Crest website page here. Uh, the second one was on property management, which continues to be a hot topic. This one's on the pitfalls of failure to disclose, which we could probably go on for a couple of hours, but we're gonna try to keep it uh, short for everybody. Um, so let's start with uh, Mark. My first question is, you know, I was talking with Laura yesterday. She said about, it's estimated about 70% of the E&O lawsuits out there uh, are a result of a party failing to disclose. So what's the most common disclosure lawsuit uh, against real estate professionals for failing to disclose? Well, I don't know that there's any one particular topic, uh, you know, like uh, permit issues or leaky roofs or neighbor problems. I mean, those are, are kind of varied, uh, but uh, I would say that the 70% estimate on uh, lawsuits arising out of sales transactions, setting property management aside, that 70% is probably low. You know, and, and uh, I've been doing this for uh, longer than I care to admit. And um, the majority of our cases have always been just forgetting to disclose something or concealing something that uh, is pertinent about the property. You know, we've seen asbestos come and go. We've seen Reg Z lawsuits come and go, uh, mold come and go, but <clears throat> disclosure uh, issues uh, are, are always present and, and are always the, the large majority of, of the lawsuits we see. <clears throat> Now, of course, you talked about uh, water intrusion there uh, a second ago. But regarding water intrusion, and, and we see a lot of this as mold too, uh, what are the responsibilities of the sellers to disclose these? And what types of non-disclosure disclosure issue is most likely to result in a lawsuit? Yeah, the, nothing like, uh, there's nothing like water intrusion to guarantee a lawsuit. Uh, you know, people will put up with a lot of different things. Uh, but when there's water coming into the house, uh, that's when uh, people are, are almost guaranteed to, to file a lawsuit. You know, and, the, and it's it's difficult for agents uh, because a lot of times, uh, you know, especially in Southern California, you know, there's there isn't a whole lot of evidence of, of the water intrusion. You know, it only happens when it rains unless you happen to be there uh, when when there's uh, rainfall. Uh, it's hard for an agent to know. But you know, being careful about asking things like, "Have you repainted?" You know, recently, and, and looking for signs of stains and pointing them out rather than just, uh, you know, uh, glossing over them. <clears throat> um, you know, all that is, is really important. You got to be extra diligent looking at windowsills and things of that nature. Just, you know, if, if it looks wrong, you should probably ask about it so that, uh, that the uh, transaction doesn't close with, a, with an undisclosed water intrusion problem somewhere. Got it. How about wood destroying pests and rodents? What should agents uh, do to handle those properly? Well, the biggest issue right now is, you know, the on uh, termite issues. Uh, uh, the it's been since 2002 that uh, the California or the CAR RPA uh, has made reference to Section One, Section Two items, uh, but we still see people 
holding on to that uh, that concept and forcing the seller to pay for section uh, one items. And you know, it's been it's been almost uh, three years now that the WPA, the Wood uh, uh, Destroying Pets Addendum, uh, has been removed from you know from the uh, list of forms. But people are still putting in the terms uh, additional terms seller to pay for section one items, and it's so dangerous because the uh, you don't know what is going to be discovered once you ultimately do the uh, the inspection. And even if you say, hey, I'm a smart agent, I'm gonna do the inspection before I list the property. Well, you know, the purchase agreement says that the buyer has a right to do their own termite inspection. So even if you get your own, if the seller gets their own, then if the buyer comes in and gets and gets uh, another one and, and the, the, the recommended repairs are different, uh, there's going to be a dispute. Uh, and so another thing too, is at least with the WPA, and um, agents, uh, I, I think, don't consider this enough. Uh, typically, there's regulations that uh, pest control operators have to follow. And one of those regulations is if, if I see, as a pest control operator, uh, evidence of active infestation that goes into an inaccessible area, I'm obligated to stop and say, hey, you, you need to open this area up. And then I'm obligated to come back out and do a reinspection. Well, at least the WPA. Uh, had terms that uh, uh, provided for who pays for all that and who pays to put the property back together. And when you just write in the uh, on the other terms, seller to pay section one items, uh, you are exposing the parties to uncertainty as to cost uh, for something that you know that the home inspector is, or I'm sorry, the pest control operator is going to have to do. So CAR has been trying for an awful long time to get uh, uh, brokers and agents to handle uh, pest control, uh, pest issues like any other request for repair. And it really is um, the better way to do it. It puts, it lets the market dictate, you know, who's obligated to incur those expenses. In a hot market, uh, the, the seller's probably going to say, I'm not doing anything. In a soft market, the buyers are going to say, if it's not perfect, I'm not buying. And that really is the way that it should go, not just a a relic of a habit, uh, you know, from the, that uh, agents and brokers have created for themselves. And then with respect to... Oh, with respect Sorry. to rodents, that's another thing too that a lot of people, you know, that's a separate license um, for pest control operators. Uh, and so when there's evidence of rodent infestation, I've seen this an awful lot where people just sort of ignore it. Uh, and then it becomes a, if a, a house in the attic or crawl space are infested by rodents, it is so difficult to get to get that uh, remedied. Uh, so that's something to really pay attention to if, if, if there's if somebody calls out that there might be a rodent problem. You mentioned a couple minutes ago about a hot market. Of course, everybody in California knows this. Actually, across the country, we are an extremely competitive hot real estate market, multiple offers, over asking. Uh, talk about a little bit about buyers agents recommending to their buyers, you know, non-contingent offers. And that's that's risky. So what's your advice and, and how do buyers and buyers agents navigate through that? Yeah, so that's another problem that the industry has, uh, has created for themselves. Uh, agents have this idea that uh, having a non-contingent quick close is, is most desirable to, to all sellers. And in reality, uh, the sellers mostly just want a high purchase price, you know, they, and especially in a hot market, which is what it makes it difficult, uh, uh, you know, logically to, to uh, justify it. In a hot market, when you have uh, multiple offers, if somebody goes through inspections and then cancels, well, you've got multiple other buyers waiting in the wings. So just get somebody else in there. So rarely, I think, is a circumstance where a buyer or seller really needs to close quickly uh, and, and making a non-contingent offer the best solution for the seller. But uh, 
we can all pretend that the market that isn't happening in the marketplace where it is. So then you got to figure out, well, how do I deal with this when, you know, it's happening all around me? And in the, uh, there's a couple of things that I uh, like to recommend. Firstly, to get a list or get some inspections uh, done prior to listing uh, and then deliver the, the home inspection report and other reports, other inspection reports uh, before any of the offers uh, come in. Uh, another strategy that I've heard that I really like uh, is when you have multiple offers, uh, you say to all the, all the potential uh, buyers, uh, we are going to make a decision five days from now. Uh, and within those five days, you all can agree to hire your own home inspector and come in and inspect, or you can all get your own home inspectors. Uh, but within that five day, if you want to do your inspection, you can do the inspection and then decide whether you want to make the offer, you know, five days from now. So at least the buyers or the seller have the protection uh, of the buyer uh, getting a, uh, uh, an inspection uh, period, so to speak. And, you know, the the, it isn't all gravy for a non-contingent offer isn't all gravy for a seller either, because I know what's going to happen is uh, agents are going to say, uh, or buyers, I'm sorry, are going to say, yeah, I got into this house and there's a whole bunch of problems. And my agent told me <clears throat> I, if I, or the listing agent told me or told my agent, if you want to be considered, you got to be non-contingent. So I was forced to, even though I didn't want to. Uh, so if you, so it, it creates additional risk to the seller. And if you, as a seller say, uh, okay, I'm accepting you buyer number whatever four, uh, but you know what, I'm going to, in my counter to you, I'm going to give you an inspection period uh, of whatever number of days. And then, and I think that would be the best way to, uh, to deal with it, to, to, as a seller, to force the buyer to get an inspection. Hmm. So it sounds so risky there. Um, it, We've had things like you put an offer in non-contingent and all of a sudden the HOA says, Hey, you know what? The uh, seller is, uh, is two years in arrear on uh, dues. So either and there's not enough money in the deal to pay the dues. So now the buyer's left with either having to pay the dues or canceling because it wasn't anything that they could have ever figured out prior to uh, prior to accepting the, or making a non-contingent offer. Right. Gosh, let's uh, open up a whole can of worms here and, uh, and talk about flipped properties. Of course, that market is still out there, although it's not as significant as it was, you know, even five years ago or even one year ago. Uh, even the distressed properties out there are overpriced and hard to get. Uh, but talk about flip properties real quick and agents. Let's, let's go to both sides of this. We'll start with agents representing sellers on the transaction that maybe never even lived there. They just uh, went in and it's an investment property and they flipped it. Uh, or maybe they did some renovations themselves. How do, what, what should they be looking for when they represent sellers on a flipped, obviously a, a flipped property? Yeah. So the, the risks are different uh, if you're selling or listing uh, with respect to flip properties with what I've seen often on uh, flip uh, or for on the listing side uh, is that an agent will uh, be asked to come in and evaluate a property prior to the flip. So maybe the agent represented the buyer, the buyer uh, when they acquired or the flipper, when the flipper acquired the property. Uh, and then the argument is, well, you saw how bad everything was. And so you should have disclosed you know, that uh, there was this problem or that problem, uh, you know, which of course the agent really isn't paying that much attention to thinking that all those issues are going to be remedied in the course of the, of the flip. And, you know, it's just sort of uh, the reality that um, uh, people that are buying properties to flip and resell are not using fixtures and finishes and doing things as though they were living in the property, right? They're trying to keep costs to a minimum and not necessarily to say that, you know, it's, it's done with, uh, uh, with uh, malintent, uh, but, you know, it's just, hey, we could make this thing right uh, for a little bit more money. And the flipper's mentality usually is, well, it's working, so I'm not going to do something I don't have to do. 
<clears throat> Whereas if you were living there, you might you know, pay the extra money to, to correct a, a small issue. Uh, so, uh, the, for, so for a listing agent, you know, be careful about what, uh, how much time, well, I had one case where it was like a, an eighth month uh, remodel in the seller or the listing agent was uh, on the property uh, numerous times during the course of the, uh, of the sale. And so the, um, uh, or the, I'm sorry, in, in the course of the construction. And that was a real difficult one because there was a lot of innuendo that the, that the listing agent should have known that the repairs weren't being done properly. Um, if you are on the, the uh, um, selling side, it's the reverse, right? So now you got a buyer who's expecting a brand new flip perfect home, or I'm sorry, re remodeled perfect home, uh, and then slowly discovers that there were corners cut here and there. So I think from a, from a buyer's uh, uh, agent's perspective, uh, you still want to be diligent about inspections, uh, maybe even more so <clears throat> to make sure that the work that was done was done properly. <clears throat> a lot of times uh, work is done without permits. And so uh, I see that, that buyers don't go and pull permits, even though they know it's a flip. Uh, and so that's a big uh, problem. After the, after the deal, then the, the buyers say, well, why didn't you ever tell me to go pull permits? And so, or, you know, or maybe there is a, uh, an oral recommendation, but not a written recommendation to the buyer, uh, you know, listen, this is a flip work was done. You, you're, you're going to be a fool if you don't uh, go pull permits, you know, prior to close, you know, you need to be that uh, direct about it. Right. I'll tell you, I've talked to so many agents over the years and uh, you know, and it's kind of funny, but they'll be running around from listing appointment to listing appointment. And they're just like, Dave, I'm so busy. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm going, they consider those interviews, you know, they're interviewing for the listing. And I always tell them, you know, I always put my risk management hat on and say, you know, boy, if you're not the one interviewing them, you could, uh, you could really potentially get yourself in trouble. And those sellers could take down your career. So when you go on all those listing appointments, it's great. You're going to tell them how great you are and, and, and display your services to them. But you should ultimately be the one interviewing them. So why is it so important for uh, sellers and, and agents to kind of team up? And what can agents do to verify that what the seller is, is saying about the property is true. I mean, I didn't live there, but if I'm listing your house, Mark, I have to just kind of go with what you said uh, with the conditions of the home. Right. So it's <clears throat> the, the concept of interviewing the seller is, is really uh, uh, important. You know, it, you as uh, experienced agents <clears throat> will, will all get a sixth sense about uh, their clients. <clears throat> and I can't tell you how many lawsuits that I've had where uh, the agents will say, geez, I knew there were a problem right from the beginning. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's about the listings you don't take versus trying to take, you know, every, every single listing. <clears throat> so the, um, a couple of things you can do to, to, pro or to sort of vet the, uh, the seller more uh, carefully. Number one, uh, sit down and go over the disclosures with them as they're filling them out. You know, don't write it. Don't write the answers yourself because then it looks like you're the one that that's provided the information. But, you know, go over the seller property questionnaire uh, with the seller as they're filling it out. And then, you know, tell them, OK, well, here's what this means. Have you had any of those problems? And then listen to the response. And if they waffle or, oh, yeah, maybe, but it was no big deal. And then you're able to ask more questions and follow up. And, and then if you think that there's a, an issue that they're trying to hide, um, you know, hopefully in that process, uh, that'll become more apparent. So <clears throat> that's uh, certainly one thing that you can uh, uh, that you can do. Uh, and with the transfer disclosure, uh, same way, and, and really is better practice for agents uh, on both sides, buyers and sellers, uh, to go over the documents 
you know, paragraph by paragraph. You don't have to read it to them, but at least, you know, say, okay, here's what this is talking about. You have an inspection period. Here's what it means. Uh, and so that way the, the, the clients get professional service uh, and the agents have the opportunity to try to, to get a feel for whether there's something that isn't being, you know, disclosed uh, properly. <clears throat> right. Are some of the failures to disclose about the, uh, we talked about permits a little bit too, about the condition of the home. Are most of the the failures to disclose about those as well as the actual structure itself, or is it uh, more the things that we just talked about? Uh, yeah, I would say that the 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 majority of uh, of the non-disclosure cases are that there's some physical defect in the house, uh, and then I would say with, within that there's oh maybe uh, a little bit. Uh, uh, more than half uh, are sellers that say, I, I didn't ever have that problem when I was here. <clears throat> um, or, um, oh, you know what, I just forgot about that. You know, we did that repair, you know, 20 years ago, and I just forgot. And then for whatever reason, it resurfaces uh, after close of escrow. And then, you know, the small portion of it are a small, small portion of the cases are where the sellers knew they had a problem and they were just trying to, to brush it under the rug so that they could get rid of the, the problem, pass it on to somebody else. Right. So real basic question. I know a lot of the agents ask me this all the time. What is the difference between just simply failing to disclose, whoops, I, I just missed that, or I intentionally failed to disclose that? And we all know that uh, Laura tells us, you know, that fraud is not covered under an E&O policy. Do you have to at least open the, the, the claim on that to determine if it was fraudulent or was it just a whoops, I forgot? What's the difference between those two? Well, the element is, uh, is intent. And so uh, to go uh, through briefly, the, uh, a negligent non-disclosure uh, is that you make a represent representation of fact uh, that's false and you had no reason, uh, no reasonable basis for believing it to be true. And then the, the fact caused or the, the, uh, the, the uh, issue caused damage uh, to, the, uh, to the buyer uh, or to the plaintiff. On an, an intentional misrepresentation, uh, you make an assertion of fact, knowing it to be false. So that's the difference. And then the rest of the elements are same that the other side relied and that to their detriment and caused them damage. Uh, so it really is just a matter of proving that the uh, that the um, person making the representation knew it was false and intended uh, to uh, act to, to cause the other side to rely on the misrepresentation. And concealment is the same way. I, I knew something, I had a duty to disclose it, and I intentionally uh, uh, um, failed to disclose so as to get the other party to, to act in a particular way. Concealment is a little bit more difficult because the... Um, <clears throat> First, there's, I think we can all say that there's a duty, but when you're trying to prove a negative, you knew it and didn't tell me because you wanted me to rely, you know, it's, that's, that's where it gets to, factually, it gets to be difficult. Right. And I, I swear this is the last question, but what if um, I'm listing your property and I know as the listing agent that something you're saying is not truthful? How far do I get into that? Do I walk away from the listing knowing that you're failing to disclose something that even I know about maybe because you told me? And you put on the form that it was something different. Yeah. So the seller's uh, obligation to disclose arises for, you know, uh, out of the contract, there's contractual obligations to make disclosure, but then civil code section 1102, which is where the TDS comes from. That's what it may, imposes duties upon the seller to make disclosures. A, a, an agent's obligation to make disclosures arises out of uh, civil code section 2079. 
So there's a separate distinct uh, statutory obligation to make disclo disclosure that those that the agents have apart from the seller. So if you know something as a, as a as an agent, and the seller uh, doesn't disclose it, you still have to disclose it. And if the if the seller says, well, don't disclose it. Uh, then you uh, really have to either say, well, I can't do that. Uh, and then convince the seller that they're not acting properly uh, or just give up the listing and say, if you, if you, I can't complete a transaction uh, if you are going to tell me not to disclose something that I'm statutorily obligated to disclose. Right. I'll tell you just great information today. I think uh, I've been most excited about this one because it's the most common, not only in E&O, but in real estate professionals daily, you know, day-to-day -day operations is, you know, the, the fear of failure to disclose. So I hope this information was valuable to everybody. Mark, thanks so much for your, uh, your intel as always. And uh, we look forward to the, um, the next webinar on, on uh, risk management. All right, well, it's my pleasure. Laura, back to you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dave. As always, very, very informative. Looking forward to our next webinar. And just for our audience, thank you for watching. And also, just so you know, a copy of this webinar is available on the Crest Insurance homepage if you look under the Claim Prevent blog. Again, thank you both, and we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.